Welcome to the Inspired with Mika Lori podcast. I am super excited for today. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. She is my beautiful cousin, Megan, but she also has had some pretty incredible experiences in her life. And I've actually invited her on to talk about the difference between U.S. healthcare and healthcare in Spain. And she has a unique Uh, vantage point or viewpoint on it. And she and I have had multiple conversations about the differences and how I think we might be able to better things here in the U.S. But anyways, thank you, Megan, so much for joining me. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So you spent nearly a decade living in Spain. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like and why you moved there in the first place? And just, you know, give me your background story about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I moved out there originally when I was studying abroad in college. Mm-hmm. And I spent six months in southern Spain, Granada. And I fell in love with the language and the culture and ended up having to go back home to UNM and finish my degree before I could actually go back. But I decided instead of doing that, I finished um, my degree doing correspondence mm-hmm. online. So I could just move back to Spain right away. Being <laughs> <And laughs> there. Uh, I lived in Sevilla and then I moved up north to Valladolid, which is like northwest of Madrid. Okay. Um, I lived there for a year and then I moved back to Madrid and I lived in Madrid for most of my time. I think I was there a total of six and a half years Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Madrid is definitely my, my home. I consider Madrid my home. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I don't know why I didn't take the opportunity to visit you there. (laughs) We were there. (laughs) should have. (laughs) So. So you've recently moved back to the States to pursue a career in law. What inspired you to make that kind of change? I mean, that's a huge change to make. Uh, That was a really hard decision to make, actually, because obviously I was really happy with my life in Spain. Um, I just didn't really feel like I was living up to my potential in Spain. I mean, I really enjoyed teaching. You know, I taught English uh, in public school, in private academies, uh, different things. And I got a master's in bilingual education while I was mm-hmm. there. And I really enjoyed it. But I didn't think that I was really doing what I was made to do. And because I'd studied political science, I thought, you know, I'd always wanted to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And then especially after the 2016 election, I yeah. <laughs> maybe I need to go back and do something that's worthwhile. You yeah. know, that was a really big um, catapult for me to come back and actually go to law school. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So like I mentioned a few minutes ago, you and I have had multiple conversations about the healthcare systems, especially while you were in Spain, but since you've been back as well. Can you explain a little bit for the listeners, like what are kind of the fundamental differences or the, um, the approaches that are different between the Spain's healthcare system and the United States? So the biggest difference is that Spain has universal healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, It's, subsidized by the government through taxes, which would be called, uh, I think a single, single payer is what mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the main difference is that everybody, no matter how much money you make, if you have a job, you don't have a job. If you're actually a resident or not, you can go and get free emergency care mm-hmm. and usually long-term care. If you have any kind of paperwork, but if you have a visa, for example, I had a visa and I had my paperwork so I could apply to be part of the, the healthcare system and they give you a little card and you can go to your local clinic 
for checkups and, you know, any kind of medi- like medication you need, um, completely free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The most expensive prescription I ever got was maybe three euros. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's, what, $5? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you can go to whatever pharmacy you want. There's no, you have to go to this pharmacy or you have to go here. Um, that was, I think the biggest issue for me was like, I feel sick. I'm going to go to the doctor. And it took me maybe a year and a half to think, wow, I have bronchitis. I'm going to go to the doctor. You mm-hmm. know, because we're taught here in the, the U S like, unless you're dying, right. You don't go to the hospital. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You have to pay to go to the hospital. Whereas there, you know, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword where there are a lot of people that take advantage of that system where they have, you know, a bump on their shoulder and they're like, oh, I have to go to the emergency room. You know, I think that's a a really big issue that they have there. But generally speaking, people use it because they pay for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that the big trade-off for us um, in Spain is that, you know, you don't have to pay out of pocket for anything because it's already um, taken off your paycheck. So every month you'll see what you're taking off in taxes mm-hmm. to go to the healthcare system. And people don't mind because they know that they're actually getting the benefit of those resources. You know? So in a sense, it's very similar to how, you know, when we work for a, a corporation, we pay for insurance through a private company, but it's taken out, you know, beforehand in our paychecks. So it's the same kind of concept. You really don't think about it, but you actually have straightforward access that even when you have private insurance here, sometimes you may not have that direct access. Yeah. Um, so one of the complaints that you hear a lot here when people talk about single payer healthcare or um, uh, you know making a universal healthcare system here in the states is is long lines or you wouldn't be able to see the doctor of your choice or um, you know they're going to control the decisions of your health those kind of things. Did you ever personally run into situations like that when you were in Spain? Um, you know, I I did go to a specialist once. Uh, I had to get my hands x-rayed because I broke a finger mm-hmm. and I went to the emergency room and they said, okay, we're going to send you for x-rays. I had to go maybe a mile up the road to a bigger hospital and sat there for maybe 45 minutes. So not like the 12 and a half hours that you sit no. in the ER here. No. <laughs> okay. No, absolutely. I mean, I think the longest time I ever spent waiting was for an appointment I made because people come in uh, you know, when they don't have appointments and they take walk-ins. So I think I sat longer in a hospital waiting for my appointment because there were people that had, you know, more urgent needs than mine. Right. Right. That was even maybe three hours. You know, I don't think I ever spent longer than three hours waiting for anything. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, if you have, um, scheduled procedures, things like you need a, uh, a hip replacement or, mm-hmm. And I know that going to see a gyne- gynecologist is actually the hardest thing to do. It took uh, four months mm-hmm. for me to actually see a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, those kind of things that are specialized services, if you go through the public system, they take longer, you mm-hmm. know, um, because there are less uh, professionals. But generally speaking, there aren't any lines that you sit in for a whole day to get service. No. And people right. do have private insurance. You can pay, most people have private insurance through their job or, you know, they want extra care and they can go to private hospitals for that, you know? Mm-hmm. 
they have a public, uh, private option too. Yeah. Yeah. And you, when you look at, um, you know, the specialty issues here, like I have a loved one who needs to see a neurologist here and his appointments are usually about six months out. And recently he had waited six months and then COVID hit and they shut all, you know, everything down here, obviously. And, and then he's got, he's now been pushed out another six months. And so it's been a year now that he's been waiting or it will be a, a year he, he will have been waiting to see a neurologist, yet he still hasn't seen one. And we don't even know if when his next appointment, if that's going to still, you know, be there, if he'll be able to get in. And so, you know, four months to six months to a year isn't, isn't quite as bad. Right. And then yeah. you still have to pay for that. Back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I really try to focus on as a health coach is trying to get my clients to understand um, a holistic approach to health. So it's not just, you know, people always think health is just eating well and exercising, right? But there really are a lot of other fundamental aspects that feed into your overall health. And part of that is like rest and rejuvenation. So getting good sleep, uh, relaxing at times, meditation, mindfulness, those kind of things. Uh, Mental health support, really trying to focus on, you know, uh, keeping your stress and anxiety down, making sure you're not in a depressed state. And then other things like focusing on your relationship and family and those kind of things. I know um, in general, Spain's culture is kind of different than the U.S., especially with like siestas and stuff like that. Do you think that they take a, a cultural approach to the healthcare system that we may not do so here in the U.S. because we're so driven by go, 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 it's all about the hustle kind of thing? Yeah. Do you see a difference in, in the cultural approach to health? Absolutely, 100%. Um, I think one of the, yeah, like you mentioned, siestas are a really big deal. No joking matter. So for for the listeners who don't know what siestas are, can you explain what a siesta is? Sure. A siesta is a nap, essentially. Mm-hmm. So people get off work around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock usually, um, and they have an hour, two-hour break from school. They let students out from their school to have a siesta. They go home, eat lunch, take a nap, and then go back to school. And, you know, most jobs have the same. Restaurants will be closed. Businesses will be closed. Most businesses shut down between two and four. Mm -hmm. And this is to allow people time to go have, you know, time with their family. Go pick up your kids, have lunch, take a nap, come back to work. And Mm -hmm. they have other work days, of course. I think they usually get around around seven Mm -hmm. as opposed to five. But they have that break in the middle of the day. Um, And it's really, really beneficial for the mental state of everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally benefited a lot from the siestas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you I mean? What was kind of the driving force behind that? Do you know why that became such a such an ingrained thing in their culture? Well, because Spain originally was all agrarian, like a lot of, um, you know, agriculture. Mm-hmm. And during, especially in, in the center of the country, it's really, really, really hot mm-hmm. in the hours of the day. Nobody wants to work in the sun when it's 35 degrees outside Celsius, mm-hmm. which yes. is like 100, 102 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, yeah. And, you know, nobody wants to work those hours. So they would just take a break and then go back when it was cooler. Mm-hmm. 
So you mentioned a little bit about your personal experience with the healthcare system, but in general, did you find it fairly easy or was it more cumbersome or difficult to use? I guess, and in, and in comparison to using the healthcare system here in the United States. I've actually found it pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest part was the bureaucracy. You know, you do have to get your paperwork in. And uh, the biggest issue was if you move, you know, around the city, you're they organize how you get your healthcare by the region of the city you're in. Mm-hmm. So if I move apartments from one area to another, I have to redo paperwork to mm-hmm. get my to go to see the doctors in that area. So that is an issue that people say, oh, you can't have, you know, with universal healthcare, you can't have your doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that, you know, because the Spanish system has really well-trained doctors, that's never mm-hmm. been an issue to them. They don't think of that as a problem. And they, you know, People don't tend to move. If you buy a house, you live in that area, right? Right, right, yeah. You know, you just have to get new paperwork saying, I'm a resident of this region, of this area. I'm going to go see this doctor. And you Mm -hmm. just change your paperwork. It's not any worse than it is having to go through your HMO, right? You know, where you have to really fight with your insurance provider to get them to cover things. I would rather just go to a different doctor or have to do hours of paperwork Instead of, you know, knowing that it's going to be paid for instead of actually having to fight for that money. Right, right. Yeah. So in your opinion, what are some of the things that we as a country here in the U.S. could do to improve our healthcare system? Maybe, you know, take away some of the things that do work in Spain and implement them here. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think diet is a really big deal in Spain. They have, you know, a diet based on olive oil and tomatoes and fish and a lot of, you know, natural, natural foods where they don't eat a lot of processed foods mm-hmm. I mean, it is it's increasing. And you can see more in the grocery stores, like more food that comes kind of from the United States mm-hmm. um, where I think when I first moved to Spain, it was impossible to find peanut butter. I really yeah. wanted peanut butter and it would, well, I would find it. And it would be 10 euros for a little jar of peanut butter. I heard somewhere that there was a um, fight over like Nutella or something like that. Is that is that true? Um, Nutella is actually really common in Spain. So really, I, I don't okay. know. Maybe yeah. that was somewhere else. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, yeah, put Nutella on toast for like a normal. Time. Yeah. Um, but anything that's kind of um, more Western, I would say more American. Mm-hmm. They don't really. It's not part of their main diet. You know, and the people now that are moving, like globalization, everything. Yeah, it's a little bit easier to get foods that aren't from that country, right? Um, but any kind of foods that are processed really aren't typical in a family. You know, especially because they live with their grandparents or they live with their mm-hmm. parents until they're married, usually. So right. I think right. they kind of center around the family and they center around the tradition of making food, like paella. You know, which takes hours. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of slow way of the Spanish culture is like me eating is something that is, um, it's a process. It's not just let's go eat something and then go. Food is a priority. Meals are a priority opposed to just a means to, you know, keep going kind of thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a really important thing that we need to shift here in the U.S. is understanding the value of food. And, and when I say value, I mean the quality of food that we're eating and then taking time to enjoy those meals, to you know look at meal prep and actually sitting down and eating those meals as some of the most valuable, um, most valuable time we have throughout the day. I definitely agree. I yeah. It really occurred to me once when I wondered why restaurants, we go sit at a restaurant for hours. You know, you have tapas and you have drinks, and you, you know, it's a long process. The reason why it, it was so weird to me was that, you know, American restaurants are driven by turnover. Right. No one's ever worked at a restaurant, you know, as a waitress, you want more tables. Right. You want them to go come in, eat, and leave. And the way that that works in Spain is that they don't get paid by tips. You know, mm-hmm. you get paid a salary. So they don't care if you're there all day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it really it took a while for that to occur to me. Like, why don't they mind us sitting here? Mm-hmm. Oh, because they're not waiting for their tip. Right. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like, everything kind of links in together. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you think, um, you know, us as private citizens can do to support or push through possible change in our healthcare system? That's a really hard question because I think everybody knows that healthcare is something that is really far reaching mm-hmm. and that something that may work in my state won't work in someone else's state. Right. Um, but I think in general, people have to be more participative in their democracy. I think mm-hmm. number one, everybody has to vote for people they believe are really going to work for their interests mm-hmm. and not based on party. Like I, you know, I know people that they, that vote straight down party lines and you know in my past I don't think I I've probably done that a couple of times but I think now that you get older you kind of realize what they're actually about is more important right that really care about investing in um you know preventative issues or preventative health care people like that should be the ones we're voting for as opposed to people that just want the status quo and to maintain you know private health care is the only way Right. And, and maybe even also understanding that you can, you can register to vote in a party. So whether that's Republican or Democrat or as an independent, but then when you're actually there day of voting, consider yourself more of an independent and do your research on the different candidates and, and especially at a local level, really focusing on, you know, how people are voting, how the the candidates are voting for different um, topics or issues. Absolutely. I think another issue that we kind of forget about is that there is a really big influence of um, corporations in everything. And, you know, being aware of what corporations you support and where you spend your money, I think is also something that we really should be better at. I don't know if everyone is so conscious about where they're buying their groceries or where they're buying, you know, whatever, um, because whatever corporations do with that money also affects our politics. And I think that's a big issue too. Yeah. Bouncing off of that, you know, I went uh, camping with my, my family this weekend and I was having a conversation with my mom about, um, you know, some of the political things that are going on in the world and especially in our country right now. And that, you know, even though you may not feel like your vote counts or matters because of everything that's going on, um, your checkbook matters. And that, you know, I, I really, try to pay wholehearted attention to where I spend my money and what kind of products I buy because 
dollar bills will shift political change. Dollar bills will change systems. Dollar bills will change, you know, what products are being created and, and offered to us. And so, yeah, you know, power, power is in the checkbook for sure. Absolutely. And I think that the debit or credit card, I should say, since nobody really writes checks anymore, but yeah. But yeah, I think that that's something that really affects us more in this country than in a lot of other countries because they have different systems where money isn't such a big driver in their um, political parties or their campaigns. Whereas I think everybody knows here that that's the main driver. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that if we're all just more conscious about, we could at least push towards a better future. Maybe not fix everything right now because that's impossible, but you know, at least do something where we're moving in the right direction. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So moving forward with law school, you know, kind of getting a little more personal here. What's your plan for the future? What, what, you know, you talked about kind of wanting to make a difference. What's your focus with law school going forward? Well, right now, I mean, originally I went to law school because I thought the situation with the immigration in this country has become unbearable. And I personally cannot stand what's happening on the border in the country and with detainment situations, like there's a number of issues, but um, I really, I really think that that's something that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. It's also a really hard topic to deal with on the, you know, on the daily. Yeah. That's something that I really like to do, but maybe not forever because mm -hmm. I think you can, there's a really good chance of burnout if you yeah. go to or in anything where, you know, emotionally they're hard topics to deal with. Um, I think one of the things that I've been like thinking through recently is that uh, civil rights law is something that I'm recognizing more and more every day, especially right now, how civil rights are things that we just take for granted. Absolutely. Right? And I would really, really like to work with the ACLU, you know, like places that are really doing work to protect people from, you know, infringing on their civil rights. And, and that means everything, you know, I think people think that, you know, having the second amendment is more important to them or the first amendment is more important to them that it will squash the other one. Right. And, you know, I think that that's absolutely incorrect. So going forward, I think what I'm really going to do is work, work on trying to get into policy work because that's where really laws can be changed. And that's kind of my future. I think that's where I could thrive. I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. Of course. I, I love that. I'll have to have you back on when you get farther into it. Cause the reason I named this podcast, how change happens is to look at how change happens within us personally, how we change our habits and behaviors, how we change, you know, the system and different issues that we're facing, you know, especially around health and food and those kind of things, how we change that at a, at a local level through our government and our community activities. And then also how we look at making that change at a national level too. You know, how do we make global policies that are going to make things better for everybody, for humankind in general. And, and so when you get further down with, with you know, policies and making change, I'd love to have you back on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Megan, where can people find you online? Where can listeners connect with you? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I do have LinkedIn, but I don't use it for any kind of personal issues. Yeah. <laughs> this is, um, and those are the ones I really use. I don't believe in Twitter. I know everyone loves Twitter, but I just don't have time for Twitter. <laughs> it's where the trolls live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Megan, last question for you. 
What advice do you have for someone who wants to make change either in their life, their community, or at a global level? I think number one, you really have to know what you want out of yourself Mm -hmm. before you can really do anything to change anything outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that I struggled with like a long time when I was in my early 20s. And, you know, it takes a, a lot to see you know, this is what I want to do and know what your goal is and take like baby steps on how to get there. Yeah. It happens overnight, but being passionate and knowing what you're passionate about and finding ways to, to work towards helping what you're passionate about, I think is, it would help any, everybody, you know, anyone can do it no matter what they're passionate about, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that to quote the, you know, the personal development King, Tony Robbins, his thing is always clarity is power. And so, you know, you get clear on what you want, get clear on your goals. It gives you power and motivation and momentum to make those things happen. But if you don't want know what you want, you aren't going to be able to get there. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you, Megan, so much for your time. I am super, super grateful for just your insight and your perspective and just your experience going through the different healthcare systems. And again, I can't wait to have you back on when you're further along with your law school and, and just your career. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Nika here. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I truly hope you found value and inspiration. If you have, I'd be incredibly grateful if you took a moment to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend who you think might benefit from our discussion, and of course, leave a review. Your feedback not only helps me grow the show and design it to help you grow as much as possible, but it also helps others find our show in the sea of podcasts out there. Do you have a burning question or a topic you're dying to hear about? Please check out the show notes where you can record your request. Your question or guest suggestion might just be the highlight of a future episode. There's one more thing I want to share with you before I let you go today. There's a chance to get a free 30-minute coaching session with me, which could be featured on an upcoming episode. It's a fantastic opportunity for personalized advice and growth. And who knows, our conversation could inspire countless others on their journey too. As you guessed it, the link is in the show notes. So please check it out and sign up if you're interested. Once again, thank you so, so much for listening in and joining me today. Don't forget to act on the things that you've learned today so you can become the person who has the life, the career, and the success of your dreams. I'm wishing you a happy, healthy hustle, my friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.